Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie, and let's get started. All right, jumping right in. Um, there's a saying that goes, we are humans having a spiritual experience. But then it goes on to say, no, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I like that. I like to think that we're spiritual beings having a human experience right now. Um, jumping into our topic, um, or one of our topics, I want to explore a fine line that there is between those that have schizophrenia and psychosis and the spiritual. Um, I in no way want to infer that people with mental illness uh, need to be spiritually better or that this is a spiritual thing at all. Um, these are just one side of the conversation um, that I would like to share. So with that being said, let's jump right into our first article. This one is from thewashingtonpost.com, and it's called How a West African Shaman Helped My Schizophrenic Son in a Way Western Medicine Couldn't. It's by Dick Russell. Schizophrenics, some believe, are simply a modern manifestation of prehistoric tribal shamans. After a wonderful summer of fishing and learning to surf, my son, then a 17-year-old junior at Boston High School, suddenly told me one afternoon, I don't know what's happening. I can't find my old self again. Soon after, Franklin had to be hospitalized. The evaluation described as an increase in the psychotic symptoms, including paranoid thoughts, command hallucinations telling him to hurt himself, these things were associated with the onset of schizophrenia. That was the autumn of 1996, and for many years afterwards, my son was on and off medication and in and out of hospitals. The, drug, the drugs reduced his hallucinations and illogical and paranoid thoughts, but their side effects caused him to gain more than 100 pounds and be diagnosed with onset adult diabetes. Only as Frank entered his early 30s did our shared desperation take us beyond medical treatment onto a path we would never have anticipated. A profound ignorance still exists as to the molecular mechanisms behind schizophrenia. Despite theories ranging from genetic inheritance to environmental exposure, Scientists cannot specify why 2.2 million Americans suffer from the mental illness. Some have suggested that there is more to this puzzle than Western medicine realizes. In 2012, Canadian evolutionary psychiatrist Joseph Polimeni published a book called Shamans Among Us, postulating that schizophrenics are a modern manifestation of prehistoric tribal shamans. The South, Af the South African healer, Colin 
Campbell has been quoted as saying, people hearing voices, for instance, or feeling certain things are in touch with other realities, especially the whole mythic realm that Western society does not have the time or place for. All right. This spoke to me because amid what appeared to be delusional ramblings, Frank had an uncanny ability to tune in to what I was thinking. On the advice of a psychologist friend, I'd stop trying to correct his bizarre ideas. This has led us to a much less antagonistic and more trusting relationship. Still, I had little hope that Frank would ever lead anything close to a normal life. Then, early in 2012, I took a chance. Our family pediatrician, who had grown up in East Africa in the 1940s, invited Frank and me to come along on his annual return trip to witness the wildlife migration across the Serengeti Plain. Frank is biracial, and this seemed a unique opportunity for him to see the continents of his, the continent of his mother's ancestors came from, and for us to forge a stronger father-son bond. Our trip was not without difficulties. One night, Frank temporarily disappeared at a campground deep in the bush, but ultimately the journey proved a breakthrough not only between us, but also for my son's self-confidence, which has been slowly but surely shattered over the years of struggling with the illness. Part of the trip's impact was surely that we were spending days and nights amidst the wonder of East African wildlife and landscape. It also helped that our guide, a Maasai, that the same age as Frank, related to him without any sense of him being different. Nine months after our return to the U.S., I sought out Maladoma Somme, a renowned West African shaman. In the culture of his Dagara people, schizophrenics are not viewed pathologically, but often as mediums bringing messages to the community from the spirit world. As an Anglo-American male in my mid-60s, I never expected to be conducting spiritual water rituals at the ocean and invoking the assistance of my ancestors on my son's behalf. But that's just what I did before taking Frank to see Melodoma in Jamaica for a div divination about his future using cowrie shells, beads, stones, and other objects. Frank also made drawings for the shaman during their hour together, which Maladoma described as being like being with a colleague. Since our trip to Jamaica, Frank has continued to speak with the shaman over the phone and create symbolic paintings. At Maladoma's impetus, impetus, Frank and I traveled to the Native American sacred lands of New Mexico. Over the past few years, Frank's mother and I have kept seeking connection with our ancestors through meditative rituals, which has made a difference in our own lives as well. These experiences, rather than taking Frank further out there, have a grounding effect. He is not cured. He still takes medication and resides in a group home, but the weight gain and diabetes have disappeared. Only a short time ago, he rarely emerged from his room. 
Today, Frank's life is filled with activity and enthusiasm. Now 36, he has gone back to a technical school to resume a course in mechanical engineering. He has taken classes in gymnastics, boxing, and skating, as well as an ongoing music and art therapy. Has traveled to Maine for two weeks on his own to learn to build wooden boats, and has been working regularly at the gym. He still writes pages of glyph-like characters with no readily apparent meaning, at least to those of us in this realm. He still speaks of a vast imaginative terrain that he's covered and continues to traverse, and he is still possessed, still possessed of a remarkable ability to tune in to the thought patterns of other people, including me. In a time where stereotypes and stigma are attached to mental illness more than ever, and when the pharmaceutical industry dominates the attitude of Western medicine, most attention should be paid to several studies by the World Health Organization comparing schizophrenia outcomes in the U.S. and Europe with poorer nations like Nigeria and India, where only 16% of patients regularly take antipsychotic medications, in one study, nearly two-thirds of patients diagnosed with schizophrenia in developing countries had good outcomes after two years, compared to only 37% in wealthier nations where drugs are the standard of care. It may be too late for Frank to ever leave medication behind him, but I'm deeply grateful for the progress that discovery, discovering alternatives have brought. I'm happy, too, that Frank knows that not only that I'm proud of him, but also, I hold deep respect for all that he's been through and who he is. In, this, in his journal, Frank writes, What is behind a situation is a mystery. We are left searching for reasons that things are the way they are. Clarity and cloudy times come and leave. Points are made and life proceeds. All right, that was a great article by the Washington Post. And with that, we'll take a short break and get into more stories after this. All right, jumping right back in. I'm looking at living with schizophrenia, uk.org. Um, an article called Religious and Spiritual Delusions in Schizophrenia. For many people, religion is one way that we understand the world and give meaning to our lives. And certainly, religion and spirituality play an important part in many people's experiences of schizophrenia. For some sufferers, religious delusions or intense religious-based irrational thinking may be a component of their symptoms. For instance, they may believe that they have been sent by God to become a great prophet. However, for other people, religion and spirituality play an important role in their recovery process. They may find that their spiritual beliefs and practices help them to make sense of the world in a way that they could not when they were suffering from psychotic delusions and that membership of a supportive faith community provides vital fellowship when faced by everyday problems of living with a serious me mental health condition. In the series of What Information Sheets, we 
we look at spirituality from a number of different perspectives, both when it comes becomes a problem in religious delusions and when it becomes a supportive component in the recovery process. So we ask ourselves, what are religious delusions? In this page, we look at how religious delusions manifest themselves in many people suffering from the effects of psychotic thinking. In our related information sheets, such as Spirituality and Schizophrenia, a Christian Perspective, other writers give their own accounts on how their spiritual and religious beliefs have helped them. It is often said that a person experiencing the first stages of serious schizophrenia is more likely to go see a priest than a psychiatrist. This is because the delusions suffered by the people with schizophrenia often have a religious content. Sufferers may believe they are a saint, a prophet of God, or God himself, which is more common in men or women that are a saint or are pregnant with the Messiah. <laughs> Sorry, that's more common in men. In women, it's more common that they are a saint or pregnant with the Messiah. Sometimes the person may believe that they are being punished or for some unforgivable sin that they have committed earlier in their life, or that they are damned to everlasting hell. This can lead to feelings of intense despondency. In other cases, the sufferer may believe that others can around them are devils or witches and may attack them, or they themselves are possessed by the devil. There is an amusing story from the 1980s of two patients meeting for the first time on a psychiatric ward who, after telling each other their story, immediately fell into an altercation with one patient accusing the other of being an imposter. How can you be Jesus Christ, he said. I am Jesus Christ. So we ask ourselves, how common are religious delusions and schizophrenia? Various studies have found that prevalence of religious delusions and schizophrenia is very high. Tory in the U.S., for instance, has suggested that around half of sufferers their experience of religious delusions. Other studies in other parts of the world have found differently. Moore and Hugolet in Switzerland found the prevalence to be around 21%. This was probably representative of the overall prevalence in Western Europe. And Ruda Levisin and his colleagues in Lithuania found it to be as high as 64% there. Whatever the figures may be for the individual country, it is clearly a trait that is very common in schizophrenia, and psychiatrists encounter it so frequently they have come up with a name for it. Religiosity or religious preoccupation. Religious religiosity is de definitely not new. The early psychiatrists in the 19th century observed the phenomenon, although it was not thought to be quite as common then as it is now. Religiosity and psychiatry. How is this diagnosed? Psychiatry and the religion have traditionally been ill at ease with each other, and in today's increasingly secular society, which the UK has undoubtedly become, many mental health professionals feel uncomfortable when dealing with the issue of religiosity and have difficulty in understanding it 
in the context of the whole person. These factors have made it difficult for doctors to properly diagnose relig religiosity. That is a hard word. <laughs> There's an example of a ward nurse in West County Hospital listing a woman's crucifix on her list of belongings as a lucky charm. This may be a good example of how incomplete an understanding the medical professionals often have today on religious issues, or it may have may be an example of an individual member of staff allowing her own personal secular agenda to overcome the necessity for professionalism in a practice in her vocation. Whichever, it is, I believe, a good example of the difficulty that many health professionals have in the UK of understanding religious practice without and without such an understanding diagnosing religiosity properly becomes very difficult. Coverage, or to be precise, lack of it in the medical literature, has not only helped this problem. Despite religiosity being such a common experience for people with schizophrenia, is not particularly well covered in the medical literature. A review of four major psychiatric journals carried out in the U.S. in 1982 found that only 2.5% of the articles even mentioned religiosity, and that in most cases, the mention was just cursory. All right. Religious delusions may be difficult to distinguish and diagnose, and diagnosis often depends on a complete knowledge of the person's previous religious history. For instance, if the sufferer has never had a religious background, but has suddenly started visiting churches three times a day, this would be significant, whereas if, a, if previously they had attended church regularly, then weekly church going would not be out of place. And bear in mind that in some faiths, religious observance can be quite significant and involving praying several times a day or abstaining from food at certain times. This is a good example of how cultural context of rel religiosity is vital to understanding it. In days of old in many societies in the developing world, mental health and spirituality are seen as closely related. Indeed, the Greek word psych, from which we derive our terms psychologist and psychotherapy, usually meant the soul or the spirit. Excessive religious observance is often the first signs that relatives see that something is amiss. Visiting churches too frequently, praying continuously, and fasting, sufferers may often lose excessive amounts of weight when there have been no previous interests in religious activities, are often a sign that there is something seriously wrong. It is vital that the doctors listen to relatives and take into account any changes in the person's behavior or lifestyle. However, the major part of evidence of religious delusions will come from the diagnostic interview with patient and any further contact with the doctor has with them. That was hard to read. <laughs> As we have seen above, holding extreme religious views does not in and of itself indicate mental illness. However, doctors should look for any signs of ab anomalous religious behaviors or beliefs that appear to have started without any prompting and may occur in conjunction with other symptoms such as paranoia or hallucinations. 
Today's guidance to psychiatrists in both the UK and the US is sound and very explicit in that they must familiarize themselves with the patient's cultural background before interpreting religious practice as delusional. Why do people with schizophrenia experience religious delusions? First of all, it's, it is important to remember that schizophrenia is predominantly, but not exclusively, a condition of young people, with three-quarters of all diagnosis being made between ages 16 and 25. This is a time when the spiritual and philosophical beliefs are usually in a great state of flux, and when the person is extremely vulnerable to deluded thinking on this issue. It is also important to realize that all persons' previous ideas, beliefs, and experiences form the framework for their psychotic thinking, and because religion still plays an important part in our society, it is not surprising that there will be a religious component within psychotic beliefs. But psychotic thinking is not restricted to religion. It reflects all aspects of a person's experiences. For instance, the belief held by many people with schizophrenia that they are being spied on by MI5 or the CIA would not have existed in the 19th century before MIA was created. Although acknowledging that the people's previous experiences can form the framework for psychotic thinking is not the same as saying that it causes it. Schizophrenia is no more a result of a religious upbringing than it is the result of watching too many spy movies. We can also see cultural backgrounds reflected in the nature of the religious delusions themselves. For instance, a predominantly Catholic countries, the delusion will reflect Catholic beliefs, where in predominantly Hindu countries, they will reflect Hindu ones. There are also some interesting twists on this, though. For instance, in Poland, religious delusions in people with schizophrenia appeared to increase during the decades of communism when organized religion came under pressure from the state. Why is religiosity significant? Some studies have found that sufferers who experience religious delusions tend to experience a more severe course of their illness with poorer prognosis. In addition, religious delusions and hallucinations can give rise to disturbed behavior that can sometimes be dangerous to both the sufferer and those around him. Religious delusions may also be accompanied by hallucinations of a religious nature. The most common here is the phenomenon of hearing voices, which the sufferer may interpret as messages from God or the saints. The person may also experience visual hallucinations, which they interpret as visions. Religious delusions and hallucinations often link together and can be very powerful in the way they influence a person's behavior. After all, if you believe that the voices you are hearing in your head and which are giving you commands are coming from God or some other higher power, then there is not a powerful reason to listen. There's a, I mean, there is a powerful reason to listen to them and obey them. When we talk of hearing voices, we are not describing the normal self-talk that every individual experiences. The voices that a person with schizophrenia hears are qual qualitatively different to that. They are true auditory hallucinations, hearing things that the hearer cannot distinguish from reality. For more about this, please see our, and it gives a source.
Religious delusions may also lead to dangerous behavior. Both homicide and violence have been committed by people with schizophrenia at the behest of the, their religious delusion. And some have taken statements from the Bible to pluck out offending eyes or cut off offending body parts, literally, and have done themselves great harm. In 1843, at age 26, the noted English artist Richard Dad killed his father, believing that his father was the devil, and that he had been called upon by God to do battle with the forces of evil. Despite being confined to asylums for the remainder of his life, Dad went on to do some of his best works, including the famous The Fairy Feller's Masterstroke, which can be seen in the Tate Gallery today. More recent examples have included the case of a man with schizophrenia who began attending cathedral in West County, where he became infatuated with a female member of the congregation, who he thought was a saint, and he ended up propositioning her. People suffering from religious delusions have also been encouraged to kill themselves by their delusions. This is not to say that all people with schizophrenia who experience rel religiosity will display dangerous or disturbed behavior. There, this is certainly not the case. However, with over 1,000 people with schizophrenia dying, dying by their own hand in the UK each year, we cannot afford to dismiss or minimize the problem of dangerous behavior in schizophrenia. And it is important that doctors and police take seriously any reports reaching them from faith communities of these kinds of problems. The key to minimizing dangerous behavior is to catch it early and make an early intervention with psychiatric treatment. Taking a wait and see the approach is often disastrous. All right, a little bit more. People with schizophrenia in church communities. In fact, it is not uncommon for people with schizophrenia to be attracted to join church communities. Usually, this presents no real problem, but sometimes disturbed behavior will become a real challenge for the congregation and church leaders alike. The person may attempt to preach or to chastise members of the congregation or become otherwise disruptive. This pre presents the community with a real problem. How do they continue to offer help and support to someone who is clearly very ill and in need of help whilst at the same time maintaining the dignity of their place and practice of worship? Members of the clergy rarely have any training in mental health and often struggle to cope with this issue. This information sheet deals specifically with the phenomenon of religious delusions and schizophrenia, a problem that can cause people with schizophrenia enormous suffering. But in religious delusions are a bad thing generally for people suffering from schizophrenia, what about religion in general? Is it good or bad for people living with schizophrenia? In fact, there is now a considerable weight of evidence that points to religious and spiritual belief as being a broadly protective and positive factor for people living with schizophrenia. And we deal with that subject in our information sheet. What can be done about religious delusions? Like most of the other delusions and hallucinations that people suffer from schizophrenia experience, the mainstay for treatment in the NHS today is medication with one of the antipsychotic medicines. 
These are effective in relieving the symptoms in around 70% of people who take them. There are, however, a number of different antipsychotics available to doctors, and finding the right drug for the particular person can often take some time and considerable patience. Taking treatments such as counseling and psychotherapy will also help, and there is now increasing recognition of their efficiency within the efficacy within the medical field. However, the relief of the symptoms is usually only part of the recovery process. For someone who has suffered from religiosity, which is was so very convincing while they were in the middle of their psychotic haze, the process of sorting out the delusional thinking around religion from more rational can be a long and difficult process of self-discovery. To return to a more sane structure of religious beliefs, and values follow a period of intense, religious-based, irrational thinking is extremely difficult. It often takes many years for a person to work his way through and finally come to an arrangement with their maker that reflects a more common approach to religious belief. At this point, the clergy and church leaders can play a vital role in guidance and support. All right, that was the end of that article very cool we'll take a break and be right back at it all right after those big long articles i'll get into some really short stories um these are people that describe the terrifying things um, this is the 20 people suffering from psychosis describe the most terrifying hallucinations they've ever experienced. It's by Callie Burns and from Thought Catalog. Number one. Fortunately, the scariest I've ever had is just people calling my name from another room when I know th I'm the only person in the house. My auditory hallucinations don't have a great vocabulary. Most of the time just sound like someone doing jazz scat, which is kind of annoying but and makes it hard to sleep. Visually, I sometimes see people standing in the windows who aren't there, and on second glance, they are gone, or small shadows darting around like mice. I'm extremely fortunate that my symptoms are relatively mild. Number two. My friend in college was schizophrenic. We were once hanging out in his dorm room at night, maybe 11 p.m. or midnight. He got up to go to the bathroom. He opened the door and stopped, staring at the empty hallway. He asked me to come to the door and tell him if something seemed weird. I walk up to the door and see nothing strange in the hall, so I tell him so. He asks if I can hear something. I say no. He said he heard muffled crying and arguing, or something coming from down the hall. He saw a pitch black hallway when it was usually fully lit. He said the hall was black, not just dark or dimly lit. At this point, he is shaking, and I'm terrified because I don't know he's sick. We're both on the verge of tears. I'm not even sure he knew he was sick at the time. I ended up walking him to the bathroom and then spending the night in his room because he could still hear someone crying in the hall. I thought for the longest time he was pulling my leg, 
but he ended up going to therapy and getting on meds very shortly after that. So it was terrifying and a very real moment for him too. Number three. My brother is schizophrenic and had insane hallucinations for about a year before I could get him help. He constantly believed people were trying to assault him, trying to rape him, and trying to kill him. On one occasion, he ran so long to get away from them, he was admitted to the hospital for heat exhaustion. He didn't understand why we wouldn't help him, and he would lash out at us. He's now severely medicated and nowhere near the person he once was. Number four. Somebody I knew back in high school had schizophrenia, but taking medication for it. She accidentally skipped a dose once, and she came to school hysterical that she didn't want to go back home because she heard someone chewing human meat under her bed. Human meat. How does one even know what that sounds like? All right. Number five, schizoaffective disorder here, but that's close enough, I think. Most of the time, my hallucinations are pretty mundane, but I do recall a few extreme ones. Worst of all would be, would have to have been the time I was convinced I was being abducted by aliens. I was in bed staring at the ceiling when a bright light appeared like a circle above me, and I felt like I was being raised up into the air from a center point in my chest and could see shadowy figures gathered all around the bed looking at me and being lifted and they were all whispering but the whispering gradually grew louder until it was like the sound of the wind but I somehow snapped back into reality very frightened but obviously unscathed that had to be have been the most intense hallucination I've had in my life. Sometimes I've been known to talk to apparently disturbing things that aren't there, but I have dissociative amnesia and don't remember doing so. That's all filled in by people I know who have observed me doing this, though I never really know if they're telling me the truth, which does bug me a lot. I have a lot of paranoia surrounding people telling me what I've done in dissociative episodes, and them just lying to me to get me to think a certain way about myself or something. I don't know. It's been rough being sure of anything. Number six, EMS. I had a patient with schizophrenia, full visual and auditory hallucinations. Off of his meds and screaming in public, demons were coming out of the ground and trying to grab him. They were yelling at him various obscene things. Weirdest part was, once we were on scene, he calmed down and recognized the uniforms. Fully cooperative, but that was, the inter- that was an interesting patient history. Are you having hallucinations? Yep, describes them in detail. So are you, how are you so calm right now? This is normal when I'm off my meds, and I know I'm in an ambulance. This was normal for him. Number seven, I'm prone to occasional psychotic episodes. No formal diagnosis has been made to include this. I've previously been diagnosed with BPD, and it's not really common to have episodes of psychosis with BPD, but I'm waiting to be reevaluated. 
I was admitted to the crisis ward in November because I was 100% convinced my whole body was rotting from the inside out. I was decomposing from within, and it was spreading outward to my extremities. This was terrifying for me, not because I was afraid of dying, but because no one believed me that I was decomposing. No one saw it was an issue. And realizing that my reality is not the reality that everyone else sees was so traumatic and isolating. I'm really not looking forward to the next inevitable episode. Number eight. First off, I just want to say I have hallucinations and categorized as psychosis instead of schizophrenia. They do this when your symptoms don't quite line up with, aren't bad enough to be a regular diagnosis. And I can tell you I have actually pissed myself in fear from some of my hallucinations. I can't even imagine how bad it must be for people whose symptoms line up with schizophrenia. As for my scariest hallucination, it was it will always be my first visual hallucination. I was in school like 10th grade and I heard voices for a bit now to the point that I was almost getting used to the fact that I'm going to hear things others don't. I remember getting up from the my desk to use the toilet and when I got out of the room I see this man with no face just standing there facing me. At first I just thought my eyes were messing with me so I blink a couple of times, shake my head a little bit and look back and he's gone. No way he could have moved in those empty silent hallways without me hearing it but he's gone. So I just go to the bathroom thinking it's kind of weird but not thinking too much about it. I even joked with myself that now I'm seeing things too. But when I got to the bathroom, he's there again, standing in the doorway. I just stop and kind of stare for a second, more curious than anything. Then I think, well, maybe he's just wearing a mask or something. And I ask if he can move over and let me into the bathroom. But then this other kid comes out and asks who I'm talking to, right as he walks through the faceless guy. I just stand there, speechless, what's... What do you do in that situation? The kid looks at me like I'm weird and then just walks away. The dude with no face moves over to let me by. I give him a wide berth as I as wide of a berth as I can as I go in, never taking my eyes off of him. He followed me into the bathroom and a few seconds later this girl walks in and I begin telling her that she's in the wrong bathroom. I'm a guy. When I notice she doesn't have a face either, they both begin walking towards me, and at that point, I'm pretty scared. So I go and hide in one of the stalls and bawl my eyes out, because at this point, I really, I realize I'm pretty much just crazy. I didn't come out until the staff came and talked me into it. The two of them, the girl and the guy, show up everywhere now and again. Note, I've since graduated and moved away from there, but they still show up wherever I am. But they never do anything, so I don't know what to make of it but the first time scared the living shite out of me number nine one of the veins in my eye was actually a worm that was eating my brain and that's why i had headaches also random sharp pains and itches are bugs crawling all over my skin trapped in my shoes etc i double check my shoes every time i put them on with a flashlight but still have to take them off occasionally to check. Number 10. Number one scariest was the first time I was in the bathroom, and I suddenly hear what sounded like a mob of people shouting and threatening they were coming to kill and burn me alive. 
I'd never experienced this before, and it sounded just like real people were outside my house. I almost had a heart attack. I went to the window and saw everything was quiet. I waited because I thought maybe they were far away. I waited and waited and then went out looking for them. After a while, I realized I was probably going crazy. The second scariest was when the aliens were coming and they would cut off my head. They were, they would keep it alive using alien technology after raping it and humiliating it. They would lock it in a dark basement with nothing around. So I was just going to be bodiless head mounted on a wall in a dark basement until the end of time. But re really, this is just describing with words what cannot be described. It's like trying to describe an acid trip. You can't really do it. And they're like a hundred times more potent. And this was like a hundred times more potent than an acid trip. Number 11. I'm not schizophrenic, but I get psychotic episodes. My hallucinations tend to stick to one sense, but sometimes kind of bleed into each other. I often hallucinate bugs on surfaces that aren't there as I try to squish them without anything happening. I suppose the scariest one was a body lying on the floor of my bedroom and it was wheezing. For me, each sense was different impact when I hallucinate something. Hearing something is extremely distracting and annoying, but it isn't scary anymore. Seeing something usually spikes my fear response as well as tactile hallucinations. Thank God it's never happened before that a hallucination was occupying all of my senses at the same time. I'm not sure if I could handle that. Number 12, Snipers. One Friday evening, I was watching TV and happened to be playing with a flashlight that I left on the coffee table. Boom. Next thing you know, I'm in full-blown hallucination. I heard a, spe a special forces team outside of the window as they were sneaking out of my backyard. I flashed the light around the room and they got quiet. They misunderstood my intent. They thought the light was mounted on a rifle. Next thing you know, they're calling me outside as part of a SWAT response, and I'm on my hands and knees on my porch in the dead of night, asking them to please not shoot me. I must have stayed out there for two hours with my hands locked behind my head as snipers got more and more nervous about what I might do. Eventually, they decided that there was no way to defuse the situation, and they shot me. I spent about five minutes lying dead on my front porch, then crawled inside my house to die. I phoned my mom and let her know I'd been shot and special forces had killed me. Needless to say, she wasn't buying it and talked me down to earth a little bit. But that wasn't the end of it. She had me go to the ER and stayed with me on the phone until I got there. I'm still in full-blown hallucination mode. So while I'm in the ER, I hear the leader of the special forces unit chatting with the front desk nurse. He knows that I'm there and is coming to get me. Luckily, the doctor found me first and didn't really know what to do with me. So he gave me two milligrams of Ativan and, and discharged me. So I drove home, still hallucinating, and now somewhat high from Ativan. And I see all types of crazy stuff on the way home. Once I get home, the Ativan mellows the hallucinations into something enjoyable. And I spend the rest of the weekend with playful hallucinations. I can't really describe the fear of having special forces snipers aiming at you for two hours straight. Number 13, schizo-affected bipolar subtype. 
It's not a specific hallucination, but sometimes I have very vivid memories of things that didn't happen, and they make me second-guess every single thing that I can remember or know because it's my memory. If my memory failed me once, why wouldn't it fail me twice? And then everything spirals downward. Number 14. I'm a social worker. One of my clients said he would see clown faces but with empty eye sockets reflected in his bedroom and car windows. 15. Hey, finally a question I can answer. I have voices that tell me they're necromancers trying to steal my soul and take over my body. They're trying to convince me they're real people all day, every day. The scariest time was when my heart was beating incredibly fast they told me they had control of my heart and were going to speed it up until they killed me. At one point, I totally believed they were real, but I don't anymore. I proved them to be just voices with logic, thanks to some help from the internet. Number 16. Not a schizophrenic, but I hallucinated a fair bit as a teen, and still sometimes now. Unsure of the triggers for them, it just happens sometimes. No drugs involved. The most unnerving thing I've seen was a creature, as tall as the inside of a house, stooped over on my neighbor's veranda. It looked like a person, but stretched out hollow, face and eyes, just staring at me. I would look away for a minute, and then back, and it's still staring, just watching. I was 16 at the time, and I'd see smaller versions of these guys everywhere. But this one was huge and refused to go. Eventually, I fell asleep, and he wasn't there when I woke back up. Number 17. Had a patient with Lewy body dementia, not, schiz not schizophrenia, but produced hor horrific hallucinations. I was working not night shift, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., and my office was close to her room. She would scream and scream and scream all night long. I would go and sit with her and ask her if there was something scaring her. She saw people waiting in the shadows in the corners of the room. She heard them laughing, saw their faces contorting. She felt rats crawling up and down her body, felt them crawling into her, biting her from the inside, then coming out of her eyes. She was still pretty... She was still pretty with it, and you were able to have lucid conversations with her. Had her sense of humor like you wouldn't had a sense of humor like you wouldn't believe. She knew what she was experiencing were hallucinations, but that didn't make them any less real to her. Eventually, she stopped being able to discern what was real and what wasn't. She died a few months ago. I worked with her for two years and miss her every single day, but I'm grateful that she's no longer suffering. Number 18. Primarily, auditory hallucinations here once experienced the onset of an episode during which one of my familiar voices died, violently, cried for help through direct interaction with me, and continued to let out tortured cries the entire time until I was heavily sedated. Came to approximately a day later, and I haven't heard from him since. I've I've experienced darker and more objectively more disturbing content from them, but hearing one of them cry for help as it passed was one of the hardest hallucinations I've ever experienced.
Number 19. I'm schizoaffective. I attempted suicide two years ago. While I was in recovery, not in a psych ward, but actually still being hospitalized, I was having a hard time staying awake for any period of time. I woke up at one point and realized there was a freakishly tall person in a black suit standing next to the bed, leaning over me. I got this horrific sense of dread, like I was about to die. I knew he had come for me. I looked up at his face, and it had no features, like Slenderman. I closed my eyes and screamed as loud as I could, calling the nurses who had to fight to get me to calm down. Part of me still wonders if it was a reaper that had come to take my soul. Number 20. No diagnosis here, but I've been suffering from constant delusions, paranoia, and hallucinations for the past two years. The scariest hallucination I've ever had took place in Target. I was in the canned food aisle when I saw a little girl grab a can. There was nothing particularly unusual about it. I at first figured it was just a girl getting something off the shelf for her mom. But then, after a while of standing there, the can in her hands in silence, she turned around and stared at me with her empty eye sockets. She opened the can and started chasing me around the store with the can top. They're really sharp, you know. And I started running through the store to escape. I know it's stupid, but it felt really real. Anyway, I ended up tripping, and the next thing I knew, she handed me the can top and was controlling my arms. And I felt myself cut my neck and wrist open and was basically screaming. But then I knocked myself out of it. When I came to, I was just standing there, staring at the cans with tears streaming down my face. It's the most vivid hallucination I've ever had, and much scarier than the ones I have every day. All right, great stories. Uh, we're going to take a short break. All right. Let's see. We're going to go on over to Ranker.com. An article written by Aaron McKinn. People describing the most terrifying thing they've seen while hallucinating. Hallucination horror stories don't just result from bad trips. In addition to drugs, hallucinations can be caused by mental illness, the side effects of medication, or sicknesses such as fevers or flus. While some people see nice things like rainbows or elegant fractals, many others report terrifying visions. Severed body parts, dead babies, and large insects have been known to appear. It can often be quite horrifying, as seen in these stories from Reddit. Users may have been trying to expand their consciousness, but hallucinating isn't always a good time. Psychedelics like DMT, LSD, or mushrooms can produce some pretty crazy stories, especially when users freak out during the trip. Some people who hallucinate have the capacity to realize what's going on, allowing for the sounds and visuals they experience to be thought of as a passing illusion. Then there are people who are unable to discern between the real and the unreal, making their hallucinations even scarier. While melting faces and breathing walls can ex be exhilarating, when demons and... <clears throat> When demons and shadow people appear, things start to get more terrifying. In these stories from Reddit, people describe terrifying things they've seen while hallucinating. Try not to freak yourself out. 
All right, the first one, a dorm neighbor turns into a demon. The first and last time I took shrooms, I took an entire eighth. Everything was all hunky-dory until my dorm neighbor came into our dorm room and started talking about this crazy trip from the other weekend before and how he wasn't sure if he was even really alive or not. This sent me down into a downward spiral of a horrific demonic trip, which climaxed when my dorm neighbor began turning dark red. His beard began to elongate and horns began coming out of his head. Needless to say, I was horrified and we kicked him out of the room. I wasn't really able to recover during the trip. And once it wore off, I was in limbo for the next couple months contemplating everything about reality. All right, severed feet hanging from a truck trailer. <clears throat> when I was about 17 or so, my therapist thought I had manic depressive disorder due to the fact that my mother also had it. So she put me on, I don't know, some kind of horse tranquilizer practically. I was being driven home from somewhere after taking the medications for a while, and there was a truck in front of us with the little flappy bits around the wheels and the underside of the trailer from some fabric or something. I didn't realize they were fabric and thought they were severed human feet hanging from the bottom of the trailer. Needless to say, I was spooked. One of the scraps fell off and came straight for our car, and I screamed. Next one, a man wearing a shirt on a hanger in the closet. I've suffered from paranoid schizophrenia for the majority of my life, which has made, been made worse by a very long addiction to meth and heroin and a heavy psychedelic abuse. During this addiction, I went from having weird delusions to having full-blown hallucinations. The one that scared me the most was the man in my closet. He would appear every now and then, and each time it scared the hell out of me, which is extremely unusual for me. It was the only hallucination that instantly felt wrong to me. I knew he wasn't really, he wasn't real from the start, unlike my other hallucinations. I would open my closet door to get some clothes, and he would be hanging there amongst my clothes. I had several shirts hanging up on clothes hangers, and he would be wearing one of my shirts while the t-shirt was still hanging on the crossbar. Imagine a shirt hanging on a clothes hanger with a pale head and arms sticking out of the respective holes. His abdomen would still be flat like the shirt, but his appendages were normal size, and he had no legs. He would just hang there, slightly swaying, giving me a look of strong distaste. He also looked angry, but he would never talk and never moved his arm or head. He would just stare at me with a menacing look on his face. I would usually close the door to the closet and leave my room immediately. It was truly unsettling. Even when it started happening more regularly, I would never wear the shirt he was wearing because I was afraid to touch him. After a while, he stopped appearing, and I eventually forgot about him. I haven't seen him in a long time, and I hope to never see him again. Alright, food poisoning causes household items to talk and laugh. Not long after I moved into one of my old flats, I went to make myself some munchies and found a can of chicken noodle soup in the cupboard. I warmed it up and ate it, and all 
and only then thought, I don't remember buying that. I fished the tin out of the bin and realized it was about two or three years out of date. Oh well, I thought, an expired tin of soup can't hurt me. Boy, was I wrong. After I had finished expelling everything in my body, the hallucination started. Voices and laughter laughter coming from things, semi-transparent walls with dead people mouthing things at me from them, a ceiling that looked like a trippy sequence from 2001, a space odyssey, the lot. The last, this lasted from about 7 or 8 p.m. until 6 in the morning, when I finally fell into a fretful sleep in my sweat-soaked bed. Freaky. A man turns into insects. The worst ayahuasca experience ever. I saw the guy next to me turn into Amazonian insects, and my mother was eaten by a six-foot-tall spider. Freaky. Black shadow jumps out of a plane, out of a phone. I took sleeping meds that made you hallucinate if you fought through them. I remember the first time I fought through the pills. I was talking to my wife on the phone. I noticed something out of the corner of my eye, kind of where my phone screen was. When I took my phone off my ear to see what the hell was going on, a big black shadow jumped out of the phone at me. The hallucination got so bad I gave up on the pills after a couple months. No sleeping beats, not sleeping beats terrifying hallucinations. An army of Viking skeletons. Once, while I was sick with a cold as a kid, I hallucinated an army of Viking-like skeletons walking from a castle towards me. Weapons dragging on the ground, skin falling off. It was very creepy. I was inside, but there was a sky in the direction they were walking from, and it was dark green. I started screaming and my mother had come to soothe me and try to bring my temperature down. Shiva appears with flashing warning lights. Tripping hard on something unknown that was sold as acid. Took a massive hit off of a nitrous oxide balloon and I tunnel visioned into the carpet while I held it in. When I exhaled and looked up, I saw Shiva floating in front of me, made completely out of fractals, staring into my soul. My brain error-coded, flashing red lights. Warning, warning. I I shot up off the couch and loudly proclaimed, I'm hallucinating way too hard right now. After that, I was fine again, and my friends didn't notice me stand or say anything. I honestly wonder if it ever happened. A shadowy man shifting around the room. I was pretty knocked out on all sorts of antidepressants and sleep meds, and I was seeing this dark shadow of a man in the corner of my bedroom who kept shifting around. He was trying to get me, yet he couldn't touch me. I was absolutely terrified to the point I threw out everything black in my room to help stop seeing him. Someone had to calm me down, and I stopped crying. It was really awful. Duplicates of the same person, and one evaporates. After turning 21, I spent a three-day weekend in Vegas. It turned out to be a little bit of a binger, and I didn't end up sleeping for 72 hours. I lie down on the sofa and close my eyes with 
with 30 minutes left until checkout because I could feel my body shutting down. When I opened them 20 minutes later, I saw my friend sitting on the edge of a pullout bed with his head in his hands. Then I noticed the same friend lying in the pullout bed. I was staring at the same person in two places at once when the one sitting on the bed evaporated. It was horrifying. Person in a coma develops superpowers after believing the hospital staff is trying to kill them. I was in the hospital after I had a seizure that caused me to hit my head in the corner of a marble coffee table. It put me in a coma for two weeks. During that time, I was pumped with ketamine and fentanyl, and I have no memory of the week before the seizure happened. Woke up in the hospital and couldn't answer the doctor where I was or how I got there. Only question I could answer coherently were my name and the president. I started hearing stuff like, I legit thought maybe I had gotten special powers after the coma. I know, it's stupid, but I wasn't thinking straight at the time. I thought I could hear the nurse talking about me from two floors up. I started seeing weird shit like dead babies crawling around on the floor. I was convinced my nurse was injecting me with poison to try to kill me because of my new special powers. And for some reason, I thought he had been stealing drugs from the pharmacy. Another nurse came in one night. I thought she was trying to kill me by restraining me, then suffocating me. What really happened was he was simply adjusting my bed. I was later diagnosed with having a brief psychotic break because of this. I thought all the hospital staff were out to kill me and injured some of them. I bit one doctor in his hand and swung on one of the nurses. One second. What they don't tell you about hallucinations is there's no Hollywood moment where you magically understand everything you saw was just hallucinations. Those hallucinations are my memory of the events, and nothing will ever change that. Watched by spooky children. Got a dumb mix of meds from my doctor that made me hallucinate weird and spooky stuff like children dressed in only black and white peeking from the corners of buildings. They just stare at me for about one second, then they were gone. You know the feeling when you swear you saw something, but it wasn't there? Happened to me at least five times a day. It was like a constant bad trip and only negative feelings. I was constantly spooked and felt like something was watching me. Adult terrors can give you hallucinations too. Not exactly what you would consider a hallucination in the strict sense, but I suffer from adult terrors, which means I wake up three or four times a week in semi-sleep state. For about a minute, I experience sheer terror. While objects in my room take on appearance of horrific forms. For example, a ceiling fan. For example, a ceiling fan is a giant spider hanging above my bed, and I can see the hair on its legs and all of its eyes. And while maybe 1% of my brain is screaming that it's not real, the other 99% is on the verge of a heart attack. Oscillating fans become floating heads. A stuffed teddy bear becomes a drowned baby with wrinkly skin. It's like waking up in a horror movie, and it's always something evil and supernatural. 
I never wake up to unicorns and kittens. Running over children in the middle of the road. I've seen children in the road in front of my car. That's really scary because I always hit them before I realize I'm hallucinating and there's nothing there. A phantom nurse appears after surgery. Given a shit ton of Keppra a week before brain surgery and things got weird. Upular by Pogo started playing in my head. I feel people walking around the room and the walls bled paint. After the surgery, when the phantom nurse who checked up on me, she would ask how I was doing, walk around the room, speak to other people not in the room. I'd lean forward to look at her, but there was no one there. This lasted for three days. Aliens grab at a person hiding under a picnic table. So I was hiding under a picnic table because I could see all the colored flashing lights in my peripheral vision and just knew it was aliens coming to get me. As I curled up under the table, I could see them ducking their heads in and clutching and grabbing at my clothing and limbs. After a short but intense struggle, I came to realize the lights were actually coming from an ambulance and it was the EMTs trying to restrain me so I wouldn't hurt myself. Then I woke up from that hallucination to realize that no, it was just me alone under a table in the middle of a dark campground. Needless to say, I was scared out of my mind. Wow. An old man calls from inside the cupboard. I had this happen to me once, actually. I was also sick, and I woke up to an old man's voice calling my name menacingly from my cupboard. Freaked the hell out of me. Followed by humanoid creatures. Psychosis saw... Or, yeah. Psychosis saw human-like creatures following me for two days and walked a watched a tree talk to me in the woods. I escaped into to get away from the humanoids. Police arrived, but not really. Boy, I tripped hard on my first shot of mushrooms. I didn't know what to expect, but my buddy's girlfriend took too much and was freaking out. This made me freak out. She was screaming bloody murder and to have the cops take her away for doing this illegal drug. I heard loud banging. Looked at the curtains and see blue flashing lights. There's yelling outside from the door to let them in. This girl is screaming her lungs out to let them in. I'm terrified. More banging. Boom, boom, boom. Let us in now. I panicked and opened the door, but nothing was there. It was dead silent. I closed the door and said, what the F, bro? Attacked by dive-bombing blankets. I remember once when I was young, maybe seven or eight, I had a really bad fever. I was lying on the top bunk, and there was a stack of blankets on the chair below. They were fuzzy dinosaur print blankets. At one point, I started hallucinating that the folded blankets were floating up in the air and dive-bombing me, trying to smother me. That scared the crap out of me. I still remember it clearly to this day. All right. Very cool article. All right, let's take a short break and get back to it after this. All right, 
the reason I think it's so interesting, the correlation between is this um, spiritual or is this medical, is cases like this. Um, so the movie The Exorcist of Emily Rose was based on the story of Anna Elizabeth and Elise Michael. Diagnosed with epileptic, epileptic psychosis, temporary wolf epilepsy, had a history of psychiatric treatment, which was generally ineffective. By the age of 20, she became intolerant to various religious objects and began hearing voices. Her condition worsened despite medication, and after years of taking psychiatric medication and getting no improvement, her family convinced her that she was possessed by a demon. They had to appeal to the Catholic Church for an exorcism. Although initially rejected, two priests received permission from the local bishop in 1975. Numerous exorcism sessions were conducted over almost a year until Annalise Michael died of malnutrition and dehydration. Michael's parents and two Roman Catholic priests were found guilty of negligent homicide and were sentenced. According to the prosecutor, the case was a mistake in identifying mental illness. So we want to avoid repeating the past, right? So that's why I'm saying it's very, it's a very fine line between is this spiritual or is this a mental illness, right? And we don't fully understand the human mind as of yet. But I'd say in cases like this, it's better left to the professionals. Um, maybe putting Annalise in a psychiatric hospital, or I don't know how psychiatric medicine was in the 70s. I don't, here it's not very sound, from what I hear from stories, but it definitely sounds like they got into religious hype and she ended up dying because of it. So definitely don't want to repeat that. So yeah, let's move on. We're going to read one last story. This is Jesse's story at 18 years old. Um, it's from earlypsychosis.ca. I guess the thing that scares me the most is the not knowing. Not knowing exactly what happened in certain situations as opposed to what really happened. It's almost like a dream, isn't it? It feels real at the time and then suddenly you're sucked back into reality. Only for me, reality never quite came. I was constantly floating along, viewing the world differently than everyone else as though I was looking through murky water, unable to see clearly. I hear people talking to me, telling me to do things, horrible things, but I could see no bodies, no mouths moving, no people talking. They weren't always terrible, though. At first, they were even nice. They told me they were my guardian angels and that they looked out for me and watched my every move. They told me I was destined for greatness and that I'd become a famous singer and my life would be perfect. So I believed them, and in my dreamlike world, began to live like a celebrity. I'd sing to myself everywhere I went, and could hear my fans whispering hidden, hidden in the trees, 
telling me how good I was. And so for a while, I believed it. But then things started to change. I began to have stalkers that followed me everywhere I went. They became obsessed and listened to every word, even recording my voice, only to play back to their friends to fawn over the melodic tunes of my voice. I became increasingly suspicious and paranoid. I was watched everywhere, even in the privacy of my own home. I'd have a conversation. I'd be having a conversation with my mom in my room, and then suddenly the next day the kids would be discussing my bra size to the exact detail my mom and I had discussed. How did they know that? I began to become more and more paranoid, changing in the dark, showering only after my mom made sure the bathroom was clean from any video recording devices. Even then, I got in and out as fast as I could. I began to feel so terrified. I literally felt sick to my stomach. I began throwing up from worry and unable to keep my food down. For any, for a while, it went on like that until I noticed him. Or should I say, he noticed me. For years, I'd watched him from a distance, soaking in every word, every move. To put it simply, he was gorgeous. The hottest guy in school, in my book. Anyway, it seemed after years of lusting after him, he began to notice me really noticed me and boy it felt good he began following me everywhere i went he'd follow me home though i could never see him i knew he was there i could feel it and so we began to talk we talked a lot but only outside of school every night he'd wait outside my window and we'd stay up talking the entire night sometimes he'd even sing to me and he had the nicest voice ever Finally, he decided to proclaim his love to me at school. He waited until lunchtime and took a microphone with him and stood on a table in the middle of the cafeteria. Embarrassed, I had to run to the bathroom and locked myself in the stall. But even from there, I could hear it. His voice. Oh, his voice. He continued to the whole school that I was his one true love. I was so embarrassed. I faked being sick and went home. To my surprise, he followed me home. But instead of being romantic, he became obsessive. Everywhere I went, I'd hear his voice. In the grocery store, he'd speak to me through the sound system instead of the music playing. He talked to me through the radio, no matter what station I chose. He spoke to me through the TV. He even read aloud to me and changed the words a bit whenever I had been reading a book. I tried to drown him out with music, but even then he sang louder than the music. He began demanding things from me. He commented on my body when I changed or showered, told me to come outside and meet him to hook up. For days I couldn't leave my house, let alone shower or change. I tried sleeping, but even then he'd scream at me to keep me awake. Eventually I had to return to school. Not that it did any me any good. I was so exhausted from being unable to sleep, I found it impossible to concentrate. I was constantly falling asleep and failing all my classes. Soon my parents began to notice I was acting strange. They told me I wasn't making any sense and that I was talking to myself. They told me I had a, some sort of illness called psychosis. Angry, I didn't believe them and ignored them. Later though, I 
began to get so angry and act so strange that they rushed me to the emergency room. He was there, and I could tell, I could hear him talking to me the entire time. The nurse came and talked to me and tried to tell me that I had psychosis, and I could hardly hear her over him yelling, and she didn't know, she didn't know what she was talking about, that she was lying. Later, my parents told me they thought it was a good idea to live in the hospital for a while so they could monitor me on this new medication I was given. As they said their goodbyes, leaving me in the hospital room, I felt angry and betrayed. How could my own parents leave me in this sort of loony bin? I, was, I wasn't insane. I was perfectly normal. For a while, things were bad. Every night, I'd have horrible... Horrible nightmares with creatures coming up to try and hurt me or rape me. But after a while, things started to get better. I stopped hearing his voice as often, and the creatures at night became less and less scary. I even made some friends, and as it turned out, not all of them were crazy. A lot of them were, though. Crazy, I mean. This one girl would always color all over her food. And another girl was always screaming at the top of her lungs in what they would call the safe room. There was even this one guy who never said a word, just paced around the room all day, staring blankly off into space. Though I was happy to f be feeling better, the medication did not have one rather, did have one rather unpleasant side effect. It made me gain weight quickly. Before I knew it, in a couple months, I'd packed on a good 50 pounds. Anyway, if you're wondering what caused me to live in the hospital, it was because my dad found a suicide note on the computer. I guess I'd forgotten to close it off. Anyway, it's a good thing he found it when he did, so I could get help. If you are living with a mental illness, definitely seek treatment and help. Thank you for listening to this episode. It has been said before that... Uh, the mystic or shaman uh, swims in the waters that the schizophrenic drown in. Um, which I think is a very poignant quote. But also I would like to point out that I am not a medical professional. And if you have a mental illness, there's a stigma about getting help. And I definitely encourage anyone with a mental illness to seek out help, um, medical <laughs> professional help. Um, with that being said, I do also think it's a cool thing that I might explore in a later episode on shamanism and mysticism, see some of that. Um, but this was a cool episode on kind of the delusions and uh, hallucinations that are very real to people. Um, I don't want to make light of that. And so I just felt like I needed to uh, also put a disclaimer on this episode that um, especially with the religious uh, connotation of that one article um, where people have religious saucity or something like that, um, that I'm not saying that this is a religious thing or they have any religious failings um, in their delusions or that their perception is not their reality because our perceptions are reality. So with that being said, I do find this to be a fascinating subject.
Um, and I think I'm going to explore some of that in later episodes. But yeah, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, as I always say, uh, thank you for listening to Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Join us on the Facebook page, Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Spooky Shiz is in parentheses on the Facebook page. And keep submitting your stories and stay spooky, my friends.